Today on Ag News Daily. Some of the things we've kind of learned about feeding from uh, even self-feeders back in those days, turning them in and out. Uh, it's amazing how many things you pull back husbandry-wise on animals when you were back in those days. Good afternoon and welcome to the second day of World Pork Expo, but it's our fourth episode of the week, Delaney. It is Thursday, almost the weekend and almost to the end of my trip to Iowa. That's true, and it's been plenty warm here this week, but there've been there's been quite a good turnout. I wish I had f- hard numbers in front of me, but I think we've seen pretty well Close to normal numbers here at the World Pork Expo. Definitely seen some international visitors, visitors, which surprised me, but seen folks from Argentina. I saw some folks from Mexico, Brazil. I can't even remember Canada. Of course, a lot of U.S. producers as well, but folks are getting out here. They are learning at the World Pork Expo. We're learning as well and getting to chat with some really cool people. So we'll have some of those conversations coming up here a little bit later on in the podcast, Ashton. But what sessions or things have you sat in on today that you've learned? Well, today, I think the biggest thing that I sat in on was the lunch. And it was basically just a collection of things that are going on in the pork industry right now, things that producers need to be aware of, things, you know, that have happened within the past year, maybe even two years since we haven't had a World Pork Expo, but just kind of getting these stakeholders up to date on what's going on in the industry, learned a couple of things, especially about productivity. And I actually talked to the keynote speaker about productivity on the farm. So we're going to feature that. Of course, in the next coming days or even weeks, because we have a lot of great stuff to feature. We certainly do. And folks, I'll just put a quick disclaimer. If you hear a lot of noise in the background, we're in the media center, which typically is a little quieter than this. But there are folks in here having other conversations, chatting markets, chatting hogs. So uh, we'll do our best here to use our outdoor voices. But I didn't sit on in this in on this session, but heard some good comments. Uh, there was one that talked today specifically about international trade. And Joel Haggard, the senior vice president for Asia Pacific region of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, said that we know that this far in Q1 and into Q2, China has been far and away the largest market for us with incredible volume sold. He said, but the Chinese market is quite youthful and we should ex- exercise some caution in our investments here and expect some risks along with opportunities. So all in all, it sounds like he's warning us that there is still quite a bit of potential in the Chinese market, but let's not place all our eggs in one basket. Ashton, I don't know if you sat in on that uh, educational seminar. I did not, but trade has definitely been a large topic of conversation and more specifically getting market access to Vietnam, the Mm -hmm. Philippines, and expanding into Japan. So, I mean, a lot of Asian markets, of course, because they are fighting African swine fever, looking to export more, or I should say import more U.S. pork. So good news for us, maybe not so much good news for them. Yeah, absolutely. So I think they're still dealing pretty hard with African swine fever. You know, that's been a conversation still yet this year. You know, here we are almost three years later in African swine fever, still a conversation going on here at World Pork Expo. But Ashton, I tell you what, we've got a little bit of non-pork related news as well. Let's dive into that here. And I'm going to save WASDI. I know that that was a big headline that came out today. I'm going to save that analysis here heading into the market. So what else do you have on the news wires for today? 
Well, there are some calls being made to the Department of Justice trying to get some movement on their investigation into meat packers. Lawmakers, along with cattle industry representatives, and I'm, of course, going to be talking a little bit more about NCBA as we go through this, but they're continuing to push the DOJ to complete these investigations because it's been about a year now, a little bit over a year as we head into, or we we already are in June 2021, and they launched that investigation back in May of 20 into the nation's four largest meat packers to find out whether or not anti-competitive practices have contributed to a persistent imbalance in the cattle markets. Ethan Lane, who we've had on the Mm -hmm. podcast before, and of course he's from NCBA, says that there's a lot riding on the results of this investigation. And he told Brownfield Ag News that market volatility puts even more pressure on U.S. cattle producers, and they're already seeing a bit of pressure from other outside things besides market volatility. But he also says that the lack of stability and profitability puts the entire beef supply chain at risk. I feel like we've been talking a lot about supply chain this week. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've been talking about it because the task force under the Biden administration was announced. We've been talking about how the new NSIS um, is going to affect the supply chain in the pork industry. So just another, you know, supply chain issue that we're going to have to look at if DOJ doesn't you know, come forward and say some kind of results or findings from their investigation. Well, I think I've talked to actually some folks here this week that also raise cattle, but I've gotten a lot of questions this week. You know, when are cattle prices going to go higher? Our margins are pretty poor right now. Hog producers are having great margins at this point in time, assuming you're an independent guy, but uh, cattle margins have not been too wonderful right now. And I think this department of justice investigation will hopefully shed some light to that. But while we're talking big four, JBS is, of course, one of those big four that they're doing an investigation in. We got official word finally a week later about the JBS hack that we had to their systems. They finally confirmed and acknowledged that they paid $11 million in ransom to hackers to restart their operations. And of course, it's supposedly Russian hacking that got in their systems, but they have officially announced $11 million. I don't know if that's going to get recouped. I hardly doubt it, though. You know, I don't necessarily think that people should be joking about this matter, but I did see a tweet earlier talking about um, if they paid them in Bitcoin mm, or if they paid they them in, in cyber money, and I, I thought that was a little funny. That, that would be a little funny. It's probably worth more if they paid them in Bitcoin, $11 million, than, you know. Hmm. I, I don't understand the, the Bitcoin and the, the Doge coin. Oh, I don't, yeah. I don't the get it. Ethereum, <laughs> the Doge, the Bitcoin. We'll have to talk about that. We used to talk. We, it's been quite some time. We've talked to Bitcoin on Market Mondays before. Maybe that's something we need to explore again. I guess so, because I need to learn a little bit more on that. So I'll just have to sit in on that conversation. Won't ask any questions. But Delaney, I didn't have a whole lot of time to look at news today because I've been running around Pork Expo. So I just have one other story to share. Talking about Mexico as they are stalling GM corn permits ahead of their ban. Of course, we have discussed this before. But uh, Mexico is holding up these import permits for GMO corn according to the head of the country's main farm lobby. They also said that the government intended to apply this uh, 
GMO Bantu corn used in animal feed despite contrasting comments from top U.S. officials. In an interview, National Farm Council President Juan Cortina said that among hundreds of ag product imports or import permits, I should say, awaiting a resolution, at least eight are for genetically modified corn, even though the ban isn't set to go into effect for another three years. If the prohibition on GMO corn is implemented, just as a reminder, it would dramatically upend the current multi-billion dollar grains trade between the United States and Mexico, forbidding some 16 million tons of annual U.S. corn exports to its southern neighbor. Nearly all of it is going to be, of course, GMO corn. So, not sure what this means here moving forward. I mean, well, I was just going to say Mexico is one of the United States' largest trading partner. Uh, they battle with Canada for being, you know, in the top three there. But uh, if they're not going to import GMO corn, that's not great news for U.S. producers who do produce a lot of GMO corn. So that might be a trade issue we have to continue to watch here. We certainly will watch that, Delaney. But like I said, not a lot of news on my end. So do you have anything else besides what, Steve? Yeah, I just wanted to mention here, we saw U.S. beef exports. I know I've talked to a lot of beef producers who are upset. Packer margins have been really high. Producer margins, not so much. But we did set new export numbers, new record export numbers here for the month of April. We valued or had a total value of beef exports in March, and then that happened again in April, talking record high exports here. But the U.S. shipped about $808.3 million worth of beef to countries all around the world. So we are continuing to see strong demand. We just got to resolve here what's going on between packer and producer margins. And hopefully we start to see packers pay a little bit more to producers here and see some of that uh, that profit trickle through. But while we're talking profit, we saw some strength ahead of today's WASDE report and finished the day mixed when you come to the grain side of things. And here's why. We saw corn ending stock estimates for the 2021-2022 crop fell. So we saw ending stocks fall. We saw beginning stocks fall. We also saw Brazil's safrina corn crop output now estimated at 98.5 million metric tons. So that's lowered from the May estimate, which was at a 102. So I think that made a lot of sense. You know, we've seen a lot of hot and dry weather down in Brazil. So it made sense there that USDA finally acknowledged that. Not such a bullish report, though, when you look over to the soybean side of things, because beginning and ending stocks were both increased this month. And we also saw uh, soybean oil exports were reduced. And as the crush margin was also reduced as well. Yeah, U.S. wheat ending stocks were pretty much neutral, neutral report for them. So uh, following the report, we saw soybeans sell off. They ended up finishing kind of mixed on the day, but corn definitely had some bullish sentiment today following that report. So let's hop in here, Ashton, and see final market prices for today. We saw July corn up eight and a quarter cent to close at six ninety nine. 
just finished under $7. I thought we were going to close above $7. We got up, I think, as high as $7.06, $7.08, something like that at one point in the trading session, but could not quite finish above $7. Dee's new crop corn, however, finished six and three quarters cents higher to close at six sixteen and a half. Soybeans mixed today as the July contract shed 18 and a half cents to close at 15.44. The November up 11 and a quarter cent to close at 14.59 and a half. Chicago wheat mixed as well today with the July contract up one and a half cents to close at 6.83 and three quarters. The Dees down a quarter of a cent to close at 6.97 and a quarter. And hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we saw some. Mostly strength here across the protein complex. A little bit of mixed trade here in the lean hog market, but August live cattle today up 27.5 cents to close at 118.55. The October up 22.5 cents to close at 124.20. Feeder cattle higher today with the August contract adding 12.5 cents to close at 148.40. The SEP up 15 cents to close at 150.90. And as I mentioned, lean hogs had some mixed trade today with June front, front month up. July, however, was down 17.5 cents to close at 121.32.5. The August down just a nickel to close at 118.70. And wrapping things up here with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. They were higher today with the July contract adding 4 cents to close at 17.57. Actually, I lied. They were mixed today with the August trading down 4 cents to close at 18.34. Ashton we have had so many great conversations. I'm losing track of who we are talking to for today. Today, we are talking all about proper sow management and kind of where to start there with Paul Ferris of Novus International. Well, today we are talking to Paul Ferris, who is an account manager, a swine account manager for Novus International. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Ashley. So, Paul, before we really get started talking about swine management here, let's just get to know you a little bit better. What does what your background consist of? I know you have kind of been all over the place. Yeah, you know, I started in uh, production back uh, early 80s, uh, back on independent farms, uh, moved into management of those sites, uh, started inside and outside with pigs. Uh, so I have some experience on uh, both ends. It's kind of coming back around nowadays. Uh, moved on to uh, work for uh, Cargill after having completed my degree at the University of Missouri uh, kind of later in life, uh, but then worked 21 years for Cargill in, uh, as a sow production manager of a good chunk of their sow business. Uh, that business was sold to JBS and spent about two years with JBS before moving to uh, some sales roles and now... Uh, about a year, a little over a year with Novus. Uh, so it's been a great year here. Now, Paul, I want to ask, before we talk about current sow management, obviously you've been in the industry for a couple of years, at least here. You've seen a lot of changes. Walk us through some of those changes that you've seen with in, when you're in your time here. Yeah, I mean, we can go all the way back to whenever uh, we were uh, just eating sows uh, outside and uh, just really bringing inside for farrowing uh, at that point in time. And some of the things we've kind of learned about feeding from uh, even self-feeders back in those days, turning them in and out. Uh, it's amazing how many things you pull back husbandry-wise on animals when you were back in those days. Uh, really have seen the progression, uh, you know, all the way through uh, started AI was a big game changer and moving uh, 
moving forward, uh, PCAI, you know, it's just, it's been an evolving, uh, evolving business. Uh, we're getting much more of a consumer driven, uh, business with a lot of our management practices, uh, adjusting to, to definitely, uh, welfare driven questions these days. So we're, we're having to, to go back and learn a lot of things for pen management and those sort of things. So it, it's, it's been a journey. And another big thing that's been going on in consumer minds, I say consumer minds, not only consumer minds, but I think just of a lot of folks involved in the industry as well is sustainability. And a lot of the seminars that have been going on have been talking about nutrition and sustainability. So where does that really come into play? I've been hearing distiller's grain being thrown around and ammonia and amino acids, all those kinds of things. So can you give us a little bit of insight on why that is so important when it comes to sustainability? Well, when you're uh, looking at about 70% of the input on uh, your big cost and, and really at least that amount of uh, your carbon footprint and so on and so forth coming from uh, feed production, it's a, it really is a huge piece of the puzzle uh, as we look to try to make the sustainability case. Uh, increasing productivity has been a great driver of improved sustainability metrics you know when that one sow now is producing 30 pigs uh huge difference from our 15 years ago so that's how you know isn't eating a lot more feed or doing a lot it doesn't take more maintenance uh so to speak and for that amount of feed you're generating just a lot more pounds of pork which that changes that denominator uh considerably um so that that's been a big part of uh our improvements is improved production you, you you spread that feed out over more animals. Genetics has done a lot for us over the years uh, in getting that direction. I think we we're we're maybe hitting some limits where now consumer pressure also tells you that you should look at meat quality. Which as meat quality goes up, it's a little tougher to maintain. Uh, you know, with additional fat within the meat to try to to maintain those feed conversions and things, but. Uh, Novus brings a lot of things to that table. It's been exciting to work with this group to, to be able to bring sustainability discussions to our customers. So we've got a lot, a lot of things we could expand on there. Let's let's do that. Let's expand a little bit further here. And obviously, we're at the World Pork Expo. I see that you get to do a educational seminar during the World Pork Expo that's titled "Let's Talk Sow Management." Give us some high-level bullet points. What are you going to be talking about? Well, when you get into sow management, uh, it's it's uh, nowadays a lot of people management. So as you, you know, a lot of things have been documented on the pig side that uh, need to do, but uh, you have to look at that in the context of who's going to get that done, how are they going to be trained to get that done, and realistically, what are the priorities of getting that done? So I think that was something that as a production manager with multiple sites, I really had to help in that prioritization and training and engagement that I could get with the employee base and my managers. I mean, they're, they're just the linchpins. You know, a lot of decisions can be made above that affect production at the farm, but the, the farm manager is the linchpin of the system. So uh, a tremendous amount of respect for the responsibility that we put in there, uh, in their court and doing what I can to help that. But uh, as we get into to real management things when you have very high productivity and you're pushing some limits on the sows as you try to reach farther and farther and fine-tune you can't have a dip 
because you can't make it up. You can't, the cow, sow can't be good enough during one litter to make up for a summertime litter that didn't perform. So really we've, we've had focus, but we need to continue to focus on our summertime management strategies. I wanted to ask a follow-up there too. When you talk about consistency like that, having just a sow that's performing consistently, how do you go about making sure that that happens? I think as you plan, it has to start with planning your breedings before you ever, you know, you have to have adequate gilt pool. Your culling and your sow mortality has to line up to where you're uh, only able to really have to maintain your best and most productive sows. If sows have had breeding issues and you've saved recycle type sows in, in previous parodies, yeah, when they come out in the summertime, you're going to be extremely challenged to get those animals to come back. They've already demonstrated lower fertility. So your high performing, high conception rate farms can then afford to cull those type of animals that recycle rather than have to breed back just to make a breed number. So as you can improve the quality of your overall management, you just continue to raise the bar on genetically how much better you're you're able to perform too so that's that's a big piece of it right there and when we're talking about sow performance one key thing is milking ability and and their milk production and i don't think that that's talked about enough in the industry and it's a conversation that you have had before on a a different podcast and so i definitely want to touch on that because i think it it is critical so why is it so essential that we ensure that these sows are performing at you know the the height that it needs to be when it comes to milk production well, I think our genetics has really moved the bar on our total barn and the opportunity for live barn. If you manage well to reduce any potential stillbirth, you're going to have, uh, with today's genetics, very much uh, a barn live that you've got enough pigs to work with basis the number of teats we typically have today. So selection of your gilts to make sure that they have 16 to start with, if you can hit that number, is great. So looking at those girls at selection and farrowing and all the way through to make sure that you have the nipples to start with is critical you can't raise a pig you can't raise 14 on a 12 teated animal it won't happen so and they lose functioning teats as they kind of as they kind of age on through the system so uh, definitely uh, focus on your selection on your gilts raising quality gilts uh, starts the process then managing your feed intakes and your temperatures uh, a lot of cool cell barns out there today maintaining temperature uh, on them functioning fans even in gestation one of the tricks i'd like to always do is carry a kestrel wind meter with me to check your large 56 inch fans uh, belt driven fans to make sure that you're getting the efficiency out of them that you should uh, if you check every fan at the same place with your wind meter, it should show you the ones that are low on CFMs that aren't moving the air. Save you a lot of money by making sure that your early stages especially have top efficiency so you're not kicking into additional stages and running more electric, more fans, not getting maximum cooling through the barns. That's one I often see that I can help identify for a producer. And I think a nice place to maybe put a pin in this conversation and wrap things up is to talk a little bit about sow management and disease management when it comes to that. We've got ASF, we've got PERS, hopefully not PED, but there's obviously continuously diseases coming to the forefront. What's a producer to keep in mind here as far as sow management and keeping disease out? 
Uh, definitely the biosecurity piece, uh, the puzzle is is key. I mean, that's uh, talk about the ultimate ceiling on your productivity. You just can't raise unhealthy pigs. It's it's the biggest cost factor. Any system's going to struggle. Your ceiling is dropped very low if you have uh, health challenges. Most farms will have good protocols in place. It's just really, again, having that training to get the uh, get the implementation, make it happen. Uh, it has to. The importance has to be communicated all the way through the system on uh, biosecurity. Now there are once you see areas that uh, we have a lot of pressure. Uh, there's numerous mitigants that can go into the feed that make sense. Very effective. There's been been good uh, been good data on them. We've got. Activate DA is one of the products that we have in the Novus portfolio that has been demonstrated to be very effective against uh, uh, mitigating the, the effects of uh, everything from ASF to, to PERS, uh, PED. So uh, certainly that's another piece of the puzzle. Awesome. Well, Paul, it's been fantastic to talk to you, and we're really excited for World Pork Expo, excited for what the industry has in store here in the future, and good luck to you and uh, the launch that Novus is having this week, but thanks once more for coming on. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity. It's nice to meet you both. Thanks again there to Paul for joining us on the World Pork Expo grounds to talk about sow management. We also have another Novus International interview that we will air later on talking more about their technologies. So you will have to tune in, folks, to hear more about that at agnewsdaily.com and follow along on social media. We've posted a lot to our stories, more than usual, of course. So be sure to check that out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people Go. Let's let him go.